Well, the world is filled with worshipers. Every single person in the world is a worshiper. It seems like it could be good news, but not necessarily. Not all are worshiping something good. But this is what the Bible says, that all humans have a soul that longs to know its creator and is a worshiper, a worshiper of something. Not all are worshipers of the only one who is worthy of worship, though, and that is God. Are you a worshiper of God more than anything else? That's the question I want you to wrestle with today, to really evaluate in your hearts. Everyone worships. I'm just going to give a list. Some people worship sports. Do people worship sports in America or in the world? Oh, yeah. Uh, In school or in our careers, many people are slaves to ambition, performance. I mean, slaves to ambition, performance, achievement. Some people worship beauty and looking good, being in shape, being comfortable. Don't we wrestle with that one? Or safe above all else, or having control, or holding on to anger. Still more people worship, maybe in our culture, money, sex, sexual identity, politics, a romantic relationship, friends' approval is more important than anything else, or just being autonomous from God. No, I don't want anybody to control me. What's true for me is truth for me. That's a worship of Above all else, we worship ourselves is what it comes down to. See, the biblical truth is that left to ourselves, we will worship all kinds of things, lots of things above God, left to ourselves and our own flesh. That's what it desires. All kinds of things above the living God. And what does, what does God call all those things? He has a name for them, all those things that we would worship above him. What, what is that name? Idols, very good, idols. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. Do we have idols today? Oh, yeah, we have so many. Lots of idols. And idolatry happens to be the most discussed problem in the Bible. The most discussed problem in the Bible. And our series in Exodus takes us right there today. Would you open with me to Exodus chapter 32? It's the second book in the Bible. Chapter 32, it's towards the end. We are very close. If you don't have your sermon notes, pen, bulletin, raise your hand. And Chris will put one in your hand this morning. And as you open to Exodus 32, you see the words, if you have little subtitles in your text, in your Bible, it says, the golden calf. We've talked about this. The stage has been set over the last several months for this moment. And we have arrived at this moment. The golden calf. God's word is amazing. Each week we come and we study it together, and hopefully each day you're in the word together and you find just absolutely every issue that you'll possibly face in life, every topic that you're possibly curious about. It's all in there. And as we're journeying through it, last week God told us just how valuable we are. I mean, that's the whole purpose of his design for the tabernacle. If you were here last week, we looked at every little facet of the tabernacle, and it was all designed to tell us how much God wants to be with us. He wants to dwell with us, and he wants us to dwell with him. And he's proved this. And, of course, every detail in the tabernacle pointed to Christ as well, which is why we can dwell with him today. He provided a way for people 
sinful people to be with holy almighty creator God. In the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle and the temple where his presence dwelled with his people. And of course, in the New Testament, since the cross of Christ, we are now the tabernacle. You got that? We are the sanctuary. We are the temple, the living temples of God. He indwells us. I mean, that's better. But Almighty Holy God wants to dwell with his people. So that was the message last week. And then this week, though, I mean, that's kind of a high note. Isn't that a great message we all love? But this week, we return to a reality that says, even though all of that's true, we still fall. We still sin. Satan's lies overtake us. Or we slip and let ourselves go. Or we harden our hearts, push God aside, or turn away from God. Turn toward other things, those idols. Or we disbelieve, or we rebel, or we break his commandments. We fall. Or all the above, or any of the above. We fall. We fall. We fall. We're not perfect. That comes in heaven when we're glorified and the sin nature is removed, but right now we fall. So we're at reality. What do we do? What do we do? And that's what the title of the message is today how to revive after a fall. And listen, we're all gonna need this message at some time or another. You might need it right now. You might not need it for a little while, but we're all gonna need it, I would suggest, several times in the rest of our lives. So let's open the word. God's got to remind his people of a couple things today. One, he's gonna remind his people then and his people now right here that number one, he is God and we are not. He is almighty, sovereign, holy, and we are not. And he's going to remind us of that, that he is God. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews told us. So we need to be reminded of that, our place compared to God. But two, the second thing today is how to be restored and completely revived after we fall. Every time, completely revived. That's his will and his desire. And he's going to show us again in these pages, in these chapters, exactly how that works This is a portion of God's word that we need and to share with others. And these three chapters, it's a lot of text. We're going to get through them today, obviously not looking at every word. We don't have time for that, but we're going to draw out their message. And that comes in three parts. First of all, careful not to fall. Second, rescue when we fall. And third, restoration after we fall. Let's look in the word of God and find these great truths. We're going to see Israel fall fast and hard with the golden calf. And we ask, why did, I, why did Israel fall into idolatry so hard and fast after God had done so much for them? Have you ever asked that as you read the Old Testament? Here's the answer. For the same reasons that we fall. Same reasons. So to set the stage, pick up in the verse right before chapter 32 starts. That's chapter 31, verse 18. One verse back. This is how Moses' 40 days of communing with God personally, worshipfully, face-to-face, in a veiled way, on the top of Mount Sinai. His 40 days of communing with God are coming to an end now, and here's how chapter 31 ended. And he, God, gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, 
the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Your 40 days are over. Here's the two tablets. I wrote the law on them, the Ten Commandments, and here you go, Moses. Wow, what a treasure. So he loads them up. Here comes Moses, ready to go down the mountain back to the people. Now chapter 32 picks up right there. Here's just a picture to, to get our minds there. Set, this is a picture of the encampment of what's going on back down on the mountain while, <laughs> while Moses is having this mountaintop experience. Here's the people down there. And chapter 32 picks up on what the people have been doing towards the end of Moses, 40 days on top of the mountain, their hearts falling into sin big time. Let's read the first four verses, chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, their leader was gone. What'd they do? The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, you can just see kind of a mob here approaching Aaron. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, okay. He felt the mob pressure, and he buckled. He said, okay, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And we're going to talk about why. But he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I just want to stop right there so we can notice how sin works. We don't like being told what to do. After all God did, all the worship they had given to God, they had, and they agreed to do everything that he said. Their hearts still craved what their flesh wants. This is evident. Be aware of this. And particularly for them, they craved the idols and the practices, the things they turned to back in Egypt. Remember, they hadn't been out of Egypt for very long, a few months now. That's not very long. They were used to some really bad things in their former way of life. This calf, if you remember, if you were here for the ten, ten plagues, this calf was modeled after Apis or Hathor or Isis. Those are three Egyptian bull god, gods and goddesses of sex and fertility. So this was the reason for the plague, the fifth plague, the plague of the livestock. Remember, each plague was God assaulting one of the specific groups of Egypt's false gods that were receiving the worship that only he was due. Let's look at close. So this is what they were used to. This is what they turned to. Let's take a closer look at their sin and, and their fall, verses 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, I mean, they're continuing in this, so Aaron kind of plays it up. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And there's lots of opinions on, is he trying to return him to the Lord? Is he like totally pagan here and being sacrilegious? You know, we'll, we'll ask him when we get to heaven. Verse 6, but here's what happened. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings 
and brought peace offerings, but they didn't do it in a worshipful way. They totally did it for the pagan golden calf. And here is the worship of the golden calf of sex and fertility, this last line. And the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to play. I want to be PG here, but um, they did not rise up to play volleyball in the desert. Uh, The connotation here is that they ate food sacrificed to the idol, got drunk, they rose up and had a drunken orgy of sex, nakedness, and violence. Here's a picture from the 1958 movie, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille. I went back back and watched this scene just to see how well he could have portrayed it in 1958. And honestly, for the 50s, he did a pretty good job. It was a lot of revelry. But honestly, this, in reality, would be more pornographic. The behavior of the Egyptians was the same as the behavior of the Canaanites. This was the behavior of the very people who inhabited the promised land right now that God was going to use Israel to expel from the promised land. This is the same behavior. We can see more and more in America how a nation can degenerate into worshiping our flesh, whatever that looks like, whatever direction. So ask yourself, are we any different? Are we any different? You know, the age-old thing, I wonder in heaven if they're going to play a movie of every second of my life. That's going to stink if they do. But think about that. Let's say we're all watching a movie of every moment of your life, every secret moment. Are we much different? And the statistics of pornography and substance abuse and abortion in the church and the breaking of every other commandment so that we can worship whatever we want to worship are, are staggering, and there are enough to prove that we all struggle with the exact same things. We do. We just do. And we all fall. That's why we all need this message from God today. Okay? So let's be there with them right there in this moment. They did things their way rather than God's way. We do the same thing. They did what was popular. We do the same thing. They did what was exciting, stimulating, what the flesh wanted, what felt good, what the world told them was good. That's what they did. And we are tempted likewise. And their ministry leader accommodated it, which is honestly getting far too common in churches today as well. So let's see. God has done so much for us, just like he had done with his people then. And we have worshipped him a lot, like they had. But let's be real. We have the potential to fall into sin at any time if we stop the fight against the evil one. At any time, in any day, any day. It's a testimony to our enemy's strength. That's the world's influence on us, our flesh's desires, and the lies of the devil, which try to manipulate the world's influence and our flesh's desires. So we need to keep constant, careful, watchful, spiritual discipline, lest we fall as well. So that's the first point I want to draw out today is be careful every moment. You can't coast. This is a human thing. So let's see how God and Moses respond here. Verses 7 through 10. We read, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. 
They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's heartbreaking news. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. That just means completely prideful. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. They had God's holy, righteous, the fullness of his wrath, just about on them. This is real. And God said to Moses, I will destroy them and start over with you. And this engaged a conversation between Moses and God that we're going to spend really the rest of chapters 32 through 34 working through. I just want to say the story doesn't end here. God doesn't destroy them. We're going to see what happens and how to revive after a fall. They have fallen. And so I want to ask, when we fall, you might be thinking of a time when you have or did or did recently, are we doomed beyond hope? Uh, Maybe you can answer that right now. I want you to give a thoughtful answer to this, though. People need to hear this. Are we doomed beyond hope? We're going to see the answer is no, not at all. Never. Under any circumstances, are we doomed beyond hope? Never. But there's some things that have to be true here. God says, be careful not to fall. But when we do, we get to point number two. There is rescue when we fall. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what God tells us through the narrative of his people Israel. We see that it starts with, and we're going to always see this in the Bible, what does everything start with? Prayer. Everything. All the time. Always starts with prayer. Particularly as verse 10 begins, we see the the power of intercession is where this prayer begins. Here's rescue when we fall. Where does it begin? It begins with prayer, with intercession. Verse 11 says first, but Moses interceded with the Lord his God. But... Moses interceded. The full wrath of God was on them, but Moses interceded. Prayers of intercession. I'm stepping in to help with prayer. This is where it begins. Watch the power of prayer here. And we have the opportunity here to notice these conversations. There's something something else that's really powerful. Okay, so we just, a couple nights ago, uh, I, I said to my kids, when we pray to God in our nighttime's prayer, how many sides of the conversation do you hear? <laughs> They're like, one. And it's kind of frustrating, right? Uh, yeah, someday we'll walk face to face with God. But when we open his word, we get the blessing and the honor to hear both sides of the conversation. And that's what we're going to hear right now. Don't miss this blessing. We're going to hear both sides of a conversation with God that's exactly like our prayers talking to God looks right now. Okay, this is a humble crying out prayer for an otherwise doomed people. Verse 11 through 14 continues, Moses interceded with the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people 
whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He's, he's giving glory to God that he's due. Verse 13 says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. This is your people. You've called them. You've promised them. And this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And see what happens here. God just wants our hearts. And he got Moses's, and Moses is interceding for the people, verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is insight to our relationship with God. This is what it looks like when we pray, when we enter the heavenlies in our prayers. God heard Moses' passionate prayers, and he answered them. He did not destroy his people. So the Bible teaches that God is absolutely sovereign, in control of everything and every decision that we make and everything. And yet, he teaches this parallel truth that he invites us to pray to him into this relationship with him, and he moves on our prayers. This is God's word. This is how it works. It makes sense in God's economy. Of course, he's God. He can make this true. And that's why prayer is one of our, it is our greatest weapon. It is our greatest weapon. And it's one of the sources, the greatest sources of our joy as well. To talk to God and get to know him better is a win for us. And he moves on others' behalfs and on the world's. So today we have this exact opportunity. This was not planned, but it just, the Holy Spirit works out this way. After the second service today, I'm guessing you've heard the announcement. We have a concert of prayer, lunch over in the Fellowship Hall really quickly, and then we'll come right back and spend time praying specifically for our summer outreach events and activities and just dedication to reaching the Warsaw area. And this is where it begins with prayer. These are prayers of intercession today, right back in this room after a, a lunch meal in the fellowship hall. And I encourage everyone to come back if you can. And we're going to lay, lay up prayers before the throne of God for everything that we're doing this summer to reach Warsaw and the world. Don't you want to be a part of that? So prayer is where our rescue begins. It, goes, it does move on. If not, we'd just be praying all day and doing nothing else. But there is more. The next step seen is the power of repenting and not minimizing sin. God will lift up those on their knees, and he will strike down those who stand in pride against him. You get this? So this is repenting, not minimizing our sin. He will lift up those on, on their knees. He will tear down those who stand in pride. Let's see what happens here. Which one is Moses and the people going to be? Moses, just after he prayed for them, is going to walk in, in the middle of their sin right now, and he gets a little upset. Let's read verses 15 through 29, which shows how serious our sinfulness is. Verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted and partied and worshiped this golden calf and everything that they were doing, Joshua said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But then he listened a little bit more closely. He said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory and it's not the sound of crying for defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. They turned the corner. As he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets 
out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then, I mean, you just see this. You can just imagine this. Then he goes and he's probably screaming, what are you doing? And he takes the calf that they had made and burned it with the fire, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. That is some holy indignation right there. He was fired up, wasn't he? And he should have been. That's the sinfulness of our sin. And then as you scan the next verses, Moses had to confront their soft leader, Aaron, who had not stood up for God's truth and had led, allowed, facilitated the people's sin. And Aaron, of course, makes excuses. He blame shifts. He minimizes sin. And, you know, that's often our first response, isn't it? That's our flesh's natural response. Let's just be aware of that so we know what's coming and what's right and what's wrong in response to that. But Aaron comes around in his defense. He comes around to repent and do what God tells Moses and him to do in verses 25 through 29. We have to put on our biblical lens here, uh, not our American lens as we read verses 25 through 29. We see that God calls Moses and Aaron to call all the Levites, that's the, the tribe of the priests, to strap on their swords and go and strike down all the people who led that mob. 3,000 were killed that day. The Bible teaches throughout its pages that those who have committed themselves to reject God, worship idols, and never repent must be cut off, must receive the condition of condemnation that we are already standing in as enemies of God. And it happened to them that day. God is holy, and it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I hope you hear that. Now, we're not slaying pagans with a sword here at Community Grace. That is not an ongoing ministry right now. I'm thankful for that. But okay, so what's the parallel today? We are fighting to live holy lives. That's a battle within. That's a battle of accountability with our brothers and sisters of everything we do, we're fighting for the purity which honors Christ and produces the best existence for everyone, for all of us and the world around us. One thing we have going on right now that's very similar to that, I mean, resonates with this, is we have about 35 men in our Conquer series. Right now, every Thursday night, we're four weeks in of the 10 weeks, uh, creating a battle plan for purity in our lives. And we're fighting that's what this looks like now. And it's been so awesome that we're going to launch another round in October. Men who aren't involved in this now or want to do it again. And we're researching the women's version, which I've heard really, really good things about. One of the things that's been made clear in that series together is that we cannot fight this battle and recover alone. It doesn't work. The devil and our flesh try to isolate us from each other but it doesn't work. And so we need each other's. And so we break up into smaller battle groups on Thursday nights. And that's why we need to do a couple things right here, what the Bible says already. First, James 5, 16, 
We need to confess our sins, first of all, to God, 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then also James 5, 16, he says, go one step further. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see why this is in the process of recovering and reviving after a fall. This is part of it, that you may be healed. What else? Second, we need to be honest with each other and bear each other's burdens. This is a part of being a church family. Galatians 6.2, command from God for our behalf, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so friends, brothers, sisters, don't try to do this alone. It doesn't work. We need to be in a small group, a discipleship relationship, accountability, some way of connecting in Christ, in his community, bearing each other's burdens. At first, it seems, you know, uncomfortable, unpleasant, inconvenient, but oh, it's great, great, great joy. We all need to do it. This is God's instruction. And without these steps, we will stay stuck, we will stay fallen, we will stay angry and depressed and spiraling even further. That's guaranteed. So, Here are the instructions of God's word. As we pick up in verse 30 then, Moses knew something else was needed as well. And just look at how the gospel is proclaimed here now in verses 30 through 35. The need for a substitute. Sin. It's a big, big deal to God. I mean, it's massive. Moses knew this. Look at verse 30. He said, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. Now, I don't want you to die. I want you to be restored, revived. He says, now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. What a leader. Moses is still a compassionate leader. He still loves his people. He'll do anything. He knew they deserved God's wrath and they deserved God's uh, death. And he pulls a move here that's so incredibly mind-blowing And it proclaims the gospel. See what he does. He asks God if he can die for their sin so they can live. Verse 32, he says, blot me out of your book instead, he says to God. God hears that and and he says, no, I will not kill you and I will not blot out all of the people, but I will blot out those who did not repent by sending a plague. And this is the pinnacle of this message, this substitutionary atonement is what we call it, that we deserve, we deserve death for our sin. But we have a substitute. Moses was a picture of the ultimate substitute, final substitute. God's own son, God himself, Jesus Christ. And it's, as we looked at last week, he said, all can come, all can come, totally inclusive, But there's only one way. It's through the door, the gate, the way, the truth, and the life. God himself who died for our sins and to take our sins on him and pay for him and bury him and give us life. So Jesus is the only way for us to live, to be restored, revived, and we can turn to him unlimited times, though. If you've never trusted him and received his salvation at all, you can do that today. Right where you sit today, call out to him. Yeah, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm broken, but I do receive the one way 
that you've given to new life, total forgiveness. I implore you to do that today. But then their story and our stories continue. And the events now in, in chapters 33 and 34, God's going to continue to show us that we, his children, can be restored all the way up after a fall. Now, I know human nature, and in a crowd this big, there are some of you who don't believe that about yourself. I want to say, you need to stop believing what you're believing about yourself right now. This is what God says, and he is God, and he sets the terms. We can be restored all the way, all the way after a fall. God has said, careful not to fall, but then he provides rescue when we fall, and now he gives restoration after we fall. Now, a lot of preachers just preach on chapter 32. There's plenty in chapter 32 to fill a whole sermon or more. But I I just hated the thought of stopping at 32 because this whole path for restoration continues into chapters 33 and 34. I I just don't want to cut it off at chapter 32. Let's look at chapters 33 and 34, which complete the restoration after the fall. We don't have time to go too deeply in this, but if we work quickly to draw out what God is saying here, we'll complete this process of how to be restored completely after we fall. The first part there is we can regain God's presence. God's presence is a huge theme throughout Exodus, and it's, just, it's everything to our lives. We want to be in God's presence. We've talked about this over the weeks. God is omnipresent, right? So he's everywhere already. So what do you mean by dwelling in God's presence? Uh, there's a semantic range on the word presence. It can mean different things. This sort of presence is relational. It's, I'm dwelling with him purely. I'm communicating with him, and I hear him, and he guides me, and he fills me. And I can get through anything in life with him. I can totally be restored to a place of peace and harmony with God and in life. We can regain God's presence. How? First thing is to repent again. Yes, that's repeated. Yes, it needs to be. Repent for revival. As of yet, God's presence had not yet returned to the people. This kind of dwelling presence. Pick up in verse 33. God tells Moses, you all go up to the land. You're going to continue now. And maybe he's just testing them, but he wants our hearts. And so this is a journey. Doesn't, we're not restored just, you know, sap of a finger. Here's what the journey looks like. He said, okay, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. But what is it that's going to make the difference? They were ready to repent now. Verses 4 through 6, this is what we see. When the people heard this disastrous word that God wasn't going to be with them, they mourned. And then, the end of verse 6, they stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. They mourned their sin. They didn't get defensive. They mourned their sin and their actions matched their humbled hearts. Bingo. I'm sorry for my sins. God, I want your presence back. This is necessary for revival. And guess what? That's exactly what happened Their presence with God is exactly what happened. It was restored. 
Let's see what we do next then with what they did. Return then to worship. In verses 7 through 10, 11, and if you're just reading this, you might miss out on some of this. Now Moses goes out to the tent of meeting just outside the camp. Let me just tell you what's going on here. Remember that Moses just got the instructions for this grand tabernacle and the grand tent of meeting that's going to be built, but it hasn't been built yet. This ornate permanent tent uh, hasn't been built yet, So he, the tent of meeting in the tabernacle. So he goes out to his pop-up tent of meeting. That's what it is. I wonder if it had those adjustable stands. Okay, so that's what, that's what we're seeing. If your Bible's open, you see in verses 7 through 11, he goes out to his pop-up tent of meeting, and look what happens. The people's repentant hearts encourage him, their leader, to go out and meet with God, and then that encourages the people. Notice verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of this pop-up tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Just imagine the scene. They're being restored. They've repented, God said. Okay, I'm going to return my... The cloud is back. That's represented his presence with them. And now what do they do? They respond in worship. So here they all are cam all camped out, and they go outside their tent door, and they worship together. And you know what I picture right there? I picture our church camp out next weekend... When we can all step outside of our tent or camper door with the quiet running generators in the background, and guess what? God's presence is in us, and we stand there and we worship together. That's what's going on here. It's a beautiful thing. Their leaders return to worship, led the people to return to worship. That leads the people next to say this, to ask for something else in, from God. Moses requests God's grace. And once again, we're given insight to a conversation with God. Notice what Moses asked for next. He said, okay, I'm, I'm worshiping you, God, so here's what I'm going to ask for. As you scan verses 12 through 17, he says, Show me your ways uh, that I may know you and find, find favor in your sight. This nation is your people. Most notably for us today, Mo Moses requests God's grace, verses 15 through 17. And he said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not even, we don't even want to go. Don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us that we are distinct, and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses asked for God's grace and presence and glory, and God gave it. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Hmm. So God extends his grace, and he extends his grace to all of us. And you're faced with a choice. Today and every day in your life. Do I reject his extended hand of grace? and relationship, and presence, and follow my own idols again? Or do I accept his hand, and know him, and walk with him, and receive his presence? And, the text continues, receive God's goodness, his grace, 
which is great, but then his goodness on top of that, let's look at what he asked for next. Verses 18 and 19, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. Whenever we see all caps, L-O-R-D in our English Bibles, that's Yahweh. Over 6,000 times God tells his people his name in the Old Testament. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The rest of chapter 33 describes God doing just this. And I would encourage you to study it, to read it, to meditate on it, to personalize it, because this is God speaking to you through it. He reveals his glory. He reveals his goodness. He presents those things to Moses in another scene of close relationship with God. How does this apply to us? It directly applies to us. We should ask for the same thing. And he gives it. The same relationship with God. You and I have both seen this kind of relationship if you've been around and maybe in a prayer meeting or in a church or in a grandma or or something. You've seen this this maturity in some saint that you've known who's walking so closely with God and has experienced this and grown so closely with God and has such powerful prayers. and, And Lord willing, that can be all of us. And I rejoice that... I've experienced some growth in that area, and oh, how I long to be closer and closer to God. Seek it, ask for it, repentantly with a humble heart and worship, and and receive it. He's good. Now, we're almost all the way around the bases, using a baseball metaphor. If we're going completely to the home plate to score the run of reviving after we fall, What have we done? We have prayed, we have repented, we have put our faith in our substitute, Jesus Christ. We have humbled ourselves, we have returned to worshiping God above all of the idols. We have requested his grace, we have requested his goodness. We're walking closely to God. Oh man, does this feel free and does this feel good? Yes, it does. Now, I wanna see how we get to home plate, all the way back to home plate in fully reviving after any fall, to any extent of the fall, any time, chapter 34, renew God's covenant. This is the, fi- the finale. Now, there is a chapter break here as chapter 34 starts, but Moses' conversation with God is still going. That's why we go right into chapter 34. And it's at this point in the conversation that God tells him to make two new stone tablets, you know, the ones that you broke, Moses, Remake those. And so he does. So Moses spends however much time it takes to make these engraved tablets, replacement tablets. Then they can continue their conversation and how special this relationship is with God. In verses 6 and 7, God declares his name again. That's so vital to our relationship. And these verses, verses 6 and 7, they're going to be on the screen here, become foundational to God's covenant with his people for the rest of the Old Testament. And these verses get repeated over and over and over. God says now, as he's renewing his covenant, fully restored, hear this as you're fully restored, renewed. The Lord passed before him so close and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, forgiving it, no longer enemies with him, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He's just, fully just. Well, what was Moses' reply then? As you scan the rest of chapter 34, it was to worship, to bow down, and to pray. And in the rest of the chapter, God is renewing point by point his covenant with his people. They are completely revived and restored. I'll go through the cycle again just to set it in. What we need to do when we fall, they have prayed, they have repented, they have put their faith in the substitute, which is Jesus. They have humbled themselves. They have returned to worshiping God above all idols. They have requested grace and received his goodness. They have renewed their covenant with God again. Oh, doesn't this feel free and good? And yes, it does. What hinders you from this complete restoration today? I pray that God smashes that barrier today and that we can be there for each other. One next step today, be fully restored with God. Take these steps to revive after a fall, micro fall or macro fall, minor or major, God's word has spoken. If you have received, if you haven't received Jesus again, I'll tell you this can be your day. If you know even how, you can do that right where you sit in your brokenness. Say, yes, Lord, I finally am going to do this. I need you. I call out to you. And he will save you this very day. And we can keep returning to him as many times as we need. If you've received his salvation and haven't been baptized, sign up on your communication card for the baptism class next week at 9.15. This is just following Christ. This is taking steps of obedience in our worship with him. And if you need help, remember, we don't want the devil to win a victory here of isolation. If you need deliverance, if you need counseling, if you need discipleship, Seek those connections here in the church or request help so we can reach out. Let's dedicate these things in prayer. Lord, that was a pretty amazing follow-up to a tabernacle message where you say how much you want us and then realize, uh, lead us to realize that our sins just will absolutely crush that, interfere with that, and put us under your wrath. But, oh, how you've offered everything uh, in this relationship to restore us, bring us to fullness, full. I pray for that jealously for everybody here today. Now to the God who is able to do all of these great things, we return our worship to you now in Jesus' name, amen.